Welcome to Moody's Mixer. Wondering what prostate cancer. No fear necessary. I want to welcome you to this live show tonight, coming to you live from Las Vegas. My name is Corey Moody. And I've been dealing or working with this prostate cancer diagnosis now for about nine months. And it's been a great journey. I really have no complaints. We got a special guest with you coming tonight. This is a man that I look up to. He's my mentor. He is a great man. I must say. If you read anything uh, in the preliminary, he is a Vietnam combat vet. He's he's gone through his own battles. None like war. So we'll be hearing from him soon. But I want to welcome you to the show again. And I must say, I kind of missed this microphone. I said it last time and Man, it just feels good to be back on. And, you know, I went to the doctor um, last week. So I'm going to have some results coming back from from this neck, this thing I had in my neck. It is completely gone. So the doctor didn't believe it. He, you know, we ordered some more tests, another MRI. And I'm going to go to the specialist again who looked at it three years ago. And you're going to hear the result from that probably in the next episode once I, you know, get those results. But this has been a great journey and time means so much more to me now than it did in the past. And, you know, I remember saying how, man, this week went past, these days are flying past. And what's happening right now, it seems like every week is like a day. But I'm kind of seeing this as a part of, you know, my ability to slow down my life and just slow down, period. So the weeks that seem to be going so fast, but if I look at my routine or what my cycle is through a day or through a week, it flows seamlessly, it seems. Not that obstacles don't come in my way, but this journey is just like a smooth ride. And I'm kind of trying to figure this out. And the gentleman that you'll be hearing from, you know, we kind of had a conversation about, you know, time and, you know, how precious it is. You know, this is probably now where we are at a stage in our life, our most precious asset. So time means a whole bunch right now. Not that I want more time or need more time. I'm learning to appreciate the time that I have now. It means something different. So I woke up this morning and I had a CPE class dealing with valuations and 
I enjoyed it. it. You know, it was a five hour kind of webinar and it goes two more days and I got work to do. I have all these things to do. And what would happen in the past is that I would look at my schedule and just cram that schedule. You know, no, I wouldn't get it all in a day. Wouldn't even get it all in two or three days, but maybe a week or maybe a week and a half in two weeks. But I always kind of had myself under this time schedule that I had to get it done within this time frame. And I always kind of remember saying, you know, you know, especially in the office, hey, look, let's go home. You know, I don't like, you know, people to work overtime. You know, it's going to be here tomorrow. And I had to start telling myself that, you know, when I got in my 40s, that, you know what, this work's going to be here tomorrow regardless. So I got to learn how to deal with the time off or appreciate the time and not the time as is in seconds, but the downtime of not having that pressure. You know, I've redlined my body for 59 years. And now the chickens come home to roost. But I'm learning that I have healing powers in my body. So this journey gets better and better every week, every month, every day. And I'm learning new facets of every second, every minute, every hour, every day. And so even like today, it was, it was just hard to tell myself, hey, do your class, take care of these little things here, these few things you need to take care of here, get it done, return these calls, and that's it. Slow it down. Just enjoy it. You put all these processes and systems in. Let's see how they work now. Let's monitor the process. So that's kind of where I am right now. You know, it's a mental game now. You know, I kind of spoke a little bit about mental health and, you know, the fundamentals on the last show. But getting these, understanding it in your life. You know, we all used to say, it's easy to say something, but when it rubber hits the road, what will you do? And the one thing you're going to probably hear me repeat over and over again is when that diagnosis came, I already knew I was going to get healed and God was in control. That's at that point is when I had to give it to God. Because I, if I got to trust my life with someone, I'm trusting it with God. So my method of why I'm doing it the way I'm doing is my faith. Because now for 59 years, I did it my way. And he got me to surrender July 14th, 2020. Let me take it, sit back, just to be obedient. So that's kind of what's happening where I am right now. And it feels good. I'll be 60 in a few weeks. 
60 years old and never felt better. So when we come back, Mr. Ron Washington will be on the air and he's going to tell some stories. I'm telling you, put your seatbelt on, get your popcorn, because this man here will entertain you. But more than anything, he's going to give you a wealth of knowledge. So stay tuned. Be right back. Yeah. So, when this man comes on, see, I gotta hit that bass thumping. Cause this guy here, he brings it. I wanna welcome to the show, one of my best friends now. And that's Mr. Ron Washington. Oh. Mr. Washington. <laughs> well, they must have heard you already. They know what you bring to the show and they're like, hey, we know we got somebody powerful on again tonight. So Ron, I want to welcome to Winning with prostate cancer, no fear necessary. And, you know, you and I have been knowing each other for about a decade now. And um, actually, you knew my dad before you knew me. And you and him were pretty close. And, yeah, and I think that's kind of why I kind of took on to you, because dad dug you, so I know it got to be something about this Mr. Washington. So Ron, I want to thank you for joining me tonight on Women with Prostate Cancer. And you know, we're gonna talk about some things tonight. And you know, you know, my my mother was a World War II buff. She loved everything about World War II and she she used to always make us watch. Well not make us, but you know, I used to always watch with her stuff about World War II. But 1968, I was seven years old. And three days before my seventh birthday, Martin Luther King got killed. Days later, my neighbor two doors over got killed in Vietnam. And he was like my big brother. He would help me fix my bike. So I had a big brother, but I'm seven. He's 12. I'm in his way. But Richard Penniman, who was my neighbor, I was like his little brother. So when I needed something and Dave's out doing his thing, he was always there. And I remember when he got killed in Vietnam. Fast forward, I meet you. And I heard that you were a Vietnam vet. And I think that kinship I had with Richard as a young child wants me to be close to you because I kind of feel a 
kinship or I, I kind of get to feel him being around you, especially when you start telling your stories. So, you know, and we're both from Chicago and, you know, so I'm going to kind of let you tell your background, where you're from and, you know, just take us on your journey and, and you know, let the people know, you know, who Ron Washington is. That's correct. And um, yes, we, 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 we have developed uh, quite a close relationship, which I'm very proud of. That's funny how we talk about things. You said how quickly time is moving. You know, not just the, the days, but the weeks, even the months and the year. I was thinking about a discussion I had when I was doing a program with some young folks at one of the middle schools, and we were talking about time and things of that nature, one of the young people said to me, you know how fast we're going, Washington? I said, what do you mean how fast we're going? He said, do you know that it takes the Earth 24 hours to make a complete circle, and it's 24,000 miles at the Earth equator, so roughly we're, we're turning, we're spinning at about 24,000 miles an hour. And I said, wow. So I looked a little more into that, and I found out that, you know, the Earth itself is moving, you know, around the sun, and we're traveling about 67,000 miles an hour. Well, no wonder things are going fast, I thought. Yes, sir. I mean, we're, we're, we are, we're speed demons, all of us, and we really don't know that we're moving that fast. I think sometimes, you know, you can, you can, you know, pay attention to things that don't really make sense. And, and, and to me, that's an interesting phenomenon uh, that, that rarely gets into the daily conversation about the Earth and its magnificence in the universe and God's creation and what that all means, but I appreciate you having me out here. Uh, my background is a pretty standard background of most uh, African-American baby boomers, you know, born after the war, born and raised in Chicago, an original South Side. I was born on the South Side of Chicago and raised there. In fact, both my parents were born and raised in Chicago. So I'm like a second-generation Chicago. My grandparents are from Mississippi, uh, like a whole lot of grandparents <laughs> and a lot of parents. There's more black folks from Mississippi and Chicago than anywhere else outside of Mississippi. So my roots are down in Bigfoot country. But, you know, Corey, um, one of the things I wanted to tell you before I forget is that I've learned from you uh, maybe more than what you, 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 you say you may have learned from me. And I, I, one of the things that I have grown to know about you and appreciate about you is that you don't believe in obstacles. 
in talking to you, every time we do a concept or get in a conversation, I relate that to how you view obstacles. And I think you keep your eye on those of obstacles and not looking at the goal. You know, we, 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 we tend to concentrate on on things that might get in our way. And that's one of the things I really admire about you. Is that you don't believe in obstacles. And when I listen to you talk and I listen to your podcast and appreciate that, Ron. And, uh, you know, I've been telling my story and writing about my journey, you know, the last two and a half years. And, you know, those that have been listening to me have heard my story, you know, know that this journey really started September 2018 when I was in Spain. And I was actually in Spain to defend my world championship, you know, as a master's 55, 400 meter. And that trip just changed my life. And you know, I, I talk about at 427 AM Wednesday morning, right the, the day before the semifinal race that I wake up just crying and that boohoo and just tears just dropping, but bawling. And I just went to the edge of my bed and got on my knees. And at seven o'clock, 
Kim woke me up and said, Corey, it's time to get ready, but what's going on? You've been down here for two and a half hours just crying. And I just said, God just been talking to me. So you happen to be over in Europe at the same time, but you were over in Italy and uh, we were over in Spain running and, you know, and we had kind of planned to meet up over in Venice. And so if you hadn't been to Venice, and it was my first time going, there are no streets, it's just water. So everything you do, you got to go on by boat. So you got to understand, I'm a confinement phobic, you know, not claustrophobic. I don't know what confinement is. I don't know. Somebody, someone want to call in and tell me what that is when you don't like confinement, please do. Cause I, but I don't like being confined. So when we checked in and I kept saying to Kim and looking at it, you know, east, west, north and south windows, I said, I can't go nowhere. Can I? So I started getting anxious because I realized I'm trapped. So anyway, we, we, we text each other and say, Hey, we're going to meet and we're going to meet at this coffee shop over in Venice. Well, I didn't know Venice was that busy or that many people are here trying to see all this stuff in Venice. So it's like, man, are we going to find Ron and this stuff? Uh, you know, what, what's going on? How are we, how are we going to do this? But anyway, we found you. And so I had an injury. I was, I wasn't disappointed, but, um, I was disappointed, but I wasn't upset. And I, more than anything, the race didn't matter. I'm thinking about this two and a half conversation I'm having with God on my knees crying like a baby. So you, I, I I hadn't seen anybody that I've known. I, we, we find you guys in at the coffee shop and I, and I just kind of start telling you my story, what happened. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of in awe or don't know what's happening. And I kind of told you, and you said you had an epiphany and it was kind of like the guy on Saturday night Live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. That's what I had. You know, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of how it felt. And it was just like a thunderbolt, just like, yeah, that's what it is. What, what does that really mean? And then you started to tell me a story about, you know, someone else you knew that, that kind of went on. And I'm, I'm like, wow, my life is different. And I knew it was different from that time on my knees. And I, you know, I'll say, you know, I, I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior back in 1983. And I remember walking outside for the first time and saying, wow, this is real. But September 2018 was something totally different. And so when you said that, something just kind of came over me. And I said, I can't leave this man. This man has to be in my life the rest of my life because he's saying something that I understand, but I don't understand. And so that can't, that kinship just kind of never went, never left. And so now I know I got to fight this thing. 
and it kind of just leads into when we were going and I'm just like, I got it because I know this is part of the journey. So when you did that, you just kind of made me feel, Corey, you on the right trail. Because when I started writing, it was about being obedient. And so when you said that, it was kind of a confirmation. So that's why I probably hang on to you the way I do, because you kind of my line of security blanket now, because I know you get it because you were there day one. So I just want to thank you for, you know, staying there and being there. And, you know, we've had some great, you know, conversations and now we get to share it, you know, to the masses, you know, to those out there listening because it means something different. And I just appreciate you being, you know, that guy that I need. And you bring more to me than I may have even told you, or you may imagine that the connection is deeper than just whether we work together or anything that like that play golf, that spiritual kinship is there. And I just want to thank you, man. And just wanted to say that out publicly and that trip has changed my life. So Ryan, again, thank you. And, you know, we're going to have some fun and, you know, let's, let's do it, man. So when we come back, Ron, I want you to kind of tell some of your stories. I, I would like to kind of hear, you know, you, when you started as a teenager and you go into the war, if you are, if, if you don't mind, you know, I, I like to be sure because of something that get very close and personal that we don't always want to reveal. And, you know, me talking about prostate cancer is kind of letting me know that this is something everyone doesn't want to talk about. But the calls and the, in the letters I get, man, it lets me know that this type of platform is needed, man. So if you okay with it, man, I like to kind of hear you as a teenager and what kind of, you know, got you to the war and what's going on and, you know, just some things about your life. All right. I'm, I'm game. I'm, I'm, I'm game for that. Okay, man. I appreciate it. Um, we'll come back in about 15 seconds. And thank you for listening to Wondering with Prostate Cancer. Okay. All right, Mr. Ron Washington, guys, we got a special guest on tonight. I thought it was small places because that's what I thought. I used to say I'm claustrophobic. I like being in small places, but I can be in something big. If I know I don't have a way out, I'm freaking out. 
and I can be in the, I can be in a smaller place, but no, I got excess. Like I can't ride in the back seat of a two door car anymore. I gotta have a way out. So. Anybody that's listening to this to this program that has actually experienced combat knows what I'm talking about. It's, it's, it's almost the same thing, Corey. There's no way out. Uh, the, the options are very, uh, very, very, very negative. You know, you, you can you can you go get out dead or alive. But I used to listen to listen to this fiddler a lot when I was a young salesman, and I remember one time. I heard him talk about optimism, and I think that's what you got to have as you move forward. And Zig said this. He said, I'm so optimistic, I go after Moby Dick in a rowboat. <laughs> and, and, and then he said, it takes a part of salt with you. Mm. And, and that kind of stuck with me uh, throughout, you know, my formative years as a young salesman in corporate America. But prior to that, though, uh, you know, I, I, I was fed up with the status quo by the time I was about 15 or 16 years old. So I left home at 17 years old. I had some serious childhood conflicts with my dad. Uh, and he was 6'3 and weighed at least 250 pounds. And I, I was barely making 120, I guess. So you know he was going to win that fight. Right. And so I decided that I knew enough that, and I told my sister, she said, uh, what are you going to do? I said, I'm getting ready to leave home. She says, why are you, where are you going? I said, I think I'm going to join the military. I said, I'm tired of people telling me what to do. I'm getting ready to join the military. She scratched her head. She says, well, that doesn't make much sense, but good luck. And, and so it kind of gives you an indication of how, what we think about when we're that young. I didn't like my parents telling me what to do, but I was willing to put myself into an organization that that's all they did was tell people what to do all day long. And so I ended up in the, in the Marine Corps. And to show you how naive uh, I was and probably thousands of other young people who ended up in the military at that time in the middle of a war, is I had no idea that there was a shooting war going on thousands of miles away. When I grabbed the Chicago Sun-Times, like most people that rode the bus or rode the train would do because it was easy to read, I'd automatically go to the back page, which was a sports page. Yep. So I wasn't reading the headlines. When, I, when my smart self decided to join the Marine Corps, you know, six months later, I'm in Vietnam. And, uh, yeah, I'm a combat veteran. I'm very active in veterans. Uh, uh, advocacy these days. I'm uh, deeply involved with an organization out of D.C. called the Vets Group. Uh, we have been around for uh, quite some time, and it's a it's a group of uh, of, uh, of different organizations that focus on veterans defense. And then, of course, I'm one of the founding members here in Las Vegas of the Association for Black Veterans in Business, and then. There's another organization that's the oldest organization of its kind for black veterans. It's called NASVET, National Association for Black 
that is incorporated, and it was founded uh, by some Vietnam veterans out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, back in the 60s. And so there's a, there's a big veteran community out there, as we well know. Um, but when you, when you talk about combat and the kinds of challenges and things you go through, uh, you know, And I've heard you say this, and I believe this, you know, my entire life, that you're not going to find a more unholy or more cruel, horrific concept than war. It, it's unnatural. And, and, and when you put people through that, uh, you are going to get folks who have experience something that uh, thank God people have experienced. And that's the humanity that can be inflicted uh, on a human being by by a You know, and, and, and when you think about it today, Afghanistan, Iraq, all the wars that we're involved in today, we got troops all over the place uh, fighting and being killed. Um there's got to be another way to deal with these conflicts. So, you know, in essence, I, I'm one of the lucky ones. Uh, even though I am a disabled veteran, I, I'm, I'm still walking and talking and I'm alive. Uh, but there, there are a lot of veterans out there really suffering. Um, and most of the suffering is psychological. Uh, yes, there have been you know, great, gravely wounded uh, uh, veterans that, you know, lost limbs, lost uh, vital organs, and who have had these painful experiences. And we shouldn't forget those who have suffered this extreme mental uh, deterioration as well. It's, it's just horrific across the board. And so I think if we take, paid a lot, a, a lot more attention to the concept that person would want to really do as much as they can to make sure that we don't end up killing each other in mass. Um, but I, 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 you know, I have, I have, I, went, I came back to earth, so to speak, and kind of got my act together. But I dropped out of high school as a senior. I needed one credit in English. And one day I, 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 I came to school and I said, you know what? And and most of my my friends at school couldn't believe it. They didn't believe I was really getting ready to jump ship. And uh, that's how I got into the Marine Corps. I I went down to the Air Force recruiting station, and it was a long line out front. You had to take a number. It would have taken hours to get inside. I went to the to the Navy recruiting station. It was the same thing. Long line out front. I went by the Army, crowded, people trying to join up. I didn't feel like waiting. Then I got to the Marine Corps recruiting station. It wasn't a soul trying to get in there. I should have known something. <laughs> First one in, last one's the lead. That, that's that young stupidity. I should have said, I wonder why nobody wants to join this organization. Now, don't get me wrong, veterans, 
Marie Corbett has been listening to me out there. You know what I'm talking about. Um, but I, I did uh, spend six years in the Marine Corps. Uh, about a year and three or four months overseas. A solid year in Vietnam. The entire year of 1966, I was in Vietnam. Combat. I'm a combat infantryman. Um, I've probably purposely forgotten most of the bad stuff that ever happened over there. But I, I will say that the experience probably, a lot of people say that military experience helped them a lot. I think what the military combat experience did for me, it might have been different if I didn't have combat experience. But what the combat experience did, it, it jaded me, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, it really, 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 really had a dark uh, effect on my psyche. I couldn't believe that human beings would do that to one another. I mean, I mean, we could spend a lot of time. I usually don't talk about it, but you know, you hear about all of these incursions today when they go on television when they're talking about how they're fighting in Syria and how they're fighting in Iraq, and we see on the news, right? You know, some of the some of the results. But unless you've seen the devastation up front and close, unless you've seen what a bullet does to the body or a 500-pound bomb does when it explodes and it's people, places, and things uh, that get destroyed, it just puts you, you know, in a different understanding of what's possible out here on the negative side. And a lot of veterans have to overcome that. And... They do, but there are a lot of veterans that don't. You know, our prisons are disproportionately full of veterans, just like they're disproportionately full of minorities. And within that is a subset of veterans, a lot of veterans in prison, a lot of, a lot of too many veterans homeless, too many veterans uh, suffering from substance abuse. And, and, and that's what... You know, that's what the war, that's what, that's what it gets us when we, you know, when we try to protect these false standards that we put up uh, every day. And, and, and I, go ahead. And, and I want to say something because, you know, this false presence that you talk about, and I guess our health kind of, for me, kind of fell in that same type of category that, this false information that what it takes that what's going on with our bodies. And, you know, I, I, I kind of wrote that prostate cancer is nothing. Fighting is Vietnam. That's real combat. And so what we go through from a medical perspective doesn't compare to our life experiences. And that's why I'm on here because what I've gone through for my 59 years has me prepared for this. And you talked about what being in the services did and being in a combat vet, you know, how it, what it has done to you, you know, positively and negatively. And, you know, that happens in all our lives that we're made up of what has transpired in our life. You know, I even kind of talked about the relationship. What drives me close to you is the Vietnam connection because I lost someone at a seven-year-old when I was seven. 
that was dear to me to this war. You know, of course, as we get older, you know, whether it was good or bad, it became so political and then Muhammad Ali, you know. So this is what I grew up with. And, you know, the middle part, you know, as I'm fighting through this, it's not even a fighting anymore, it's just a journey of, of, a, of a lifestyle change that it just doesn't, it just doesn't measure up to what I've gone through in life that this is nothing. And to have you on who've gone through even worse than that, that, you know, we always want to measure, you know, what's worse, what's better, who went through the most, you know, we all want to be, a, you know, can be a victim if we want to. And I just never believed in that. You know, one thing my dad used to always tell me was never let anyone define you. And this morning, um, I was just, you know, having my quiet time. And I remember my mother used to always say, so her last words to you was never goodbye, see you later, whatever. She will always say to the struggle and pop her fence and like to the struggle. And what I realized that we're always fighting and not necessarily in a bad way, but we always got to keep pressing. And you said something earlier that obstacles just don't, I don't believe in obstacles. And I get that from my mother always telling me to the struggle that no matter where you are, what you've gone through, what you think you achieve, you still got to keep fighting. And, you know, to fight for something that you didn't create the conflict. You know, I used to tell my daughters when they were growing up, I used to say, hey, look, you're going to have friends. You're going to have friends that kind of, you know, not get along. But you don't not get along with that other person because they had a, uh, a tiff with someone else. Then you say, well, I don't like Janie anymore because Susie don't like Janie. You don't do that because you don't know the whole story. So just hearing that part, you know, because the physical part is not so hard of fighting this prostate cancer. I tell you, it's the mental part. And I, I, I talk about, you know, this, this journey I'm on. My whole family got to be on this journey, whether they like it or not. And we got to be able to accept and understand what the other person's kind of going through. And, you know, I always, you know, kind of use this example. You know, I, I remember, you know, working with Kim, you know, in her home health business. And, you know, and I remember her doing some training and stuff about what families and stuff. And, you know, when a family comes home from the hospital, whether it's from knee surgery or something, or it's something, you know, that's a chronic disease, you know, that it's, it's there for the rest of their life, supposedly. And now they got a commode on the side of the bed. So now here I am coming home. I got a portable toilet next to the bed. Well, it's there for me because I can't make it to the bathroom in the middle of the night or if, I, you know, if something happens, I need to have it there. But now 
My spouse has to see this every night come in the bed. That has an effect on the other person as it does the person who has to use it. I feel bad about it because I'm, I'm bringing this stuff in for me to live. Now you're being reminded that we got to deal with this together. And I know we say for better or worse, it all sounds good. But when it comes home, it's a little different because now she got to see my pole or the commode or whatever that I'm bringing in to live now. Now we both have to make these adjustments and certain things that we say now have a different effect. What does it mean? You know, look, I'm doing the best I can. I, I get it. And I understand seeing this commode doesn't, doesn't work. So when you said that about not being natural, you guys got it to the 10th degree. What we go through, you know, from my perspective, from a medical perspective, it's not half as what you guys see that you really had nothing to do with. So when you said that, it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. And I've all, you know, I used to always say, man, that's just ain't natural. And we go through this when we go through this and we have to be confident in ourselves and understand what's going on, you know, with our health, man. And, you know, I just have to kind of get that in there because, you know, it's not just one person, you know, it's about how it affects who's at home, what's different about the whole family structure. And I've always, the relationship that we have is just so important because it's helping me through things as a child that I witnessed. And to hear you talk about what you went through and, and you know, there's a good friend of mine who is a Vietnam vet, he's a CPA. And he told me he was over there for a year and a half. And he said, the sergeant, he said, guys, we just over here to survive. And he said they just ran and shot wherever they needed to just to try to stay alive. You know, and here I am worrying about prostate cancer. And you got bullets and stuff flying over there, over there. I can't beat this. I got control of this. You had no control over that. So, you know, and that's why I kind of asked, and you said, you know, you don't like to talk about it, but you know, I appreciate you, you having this conversation with me because it helps me understand that what I have is nothing because I can get rid of this. But the memories. It's, it's, all, it's all relative to Corey because, you know, for a number of years, I was sort of, you know, feeling like I was a victim. And a lot of guys that I knew, they've been in war felt like we were, we were victims, you know, victims of, of, uh, uh, of a government who, did, who wasn't honest, you know, with, with, with folks about why these wars were being waged. But I'll I, I tell you this one thing, though. Um, I met a woman, um, I, and around that time, I was thinking about, like you were saying, how tough it was, you know, being in this 
situation and, and what it did for my psychology. But I met a woman uh, who was a, I, I think you call him like a district superintendent in the school. Mm -hmm. She started off as a school and she worked her way up and now she was a district superintendent in the school system. And we would talk, we would talk uh, you know, about about certain things. And, and then she revealed to me that she had been homeless since she was nine years old. And she started telling me, and then I pictured, you know, this hardship, and I even said to myself, well, you know what? Maybe I didn't have it as tough as I thought I did. Yeah. Um, and, and I think all these things are relative, but the one common thread in and that what she said and what you just said was, is that she couldn't, she was, it, it was impossible for her to get where she is today by herself. And she had to expose herself to people and tell her story and, you know, things of that nature. But, but without the help of other people, she wouldn't, she wouldn't have gotten to the next level, you know. Right. Uh, for, for a lot of people, they have no idea what they can do. Because they've been told that you know they can't do anything, right? And somebody once said, "Man with man and women are designed for accomplishment, engineered for success, and endowed with the seeds of greatness." And I think it's, it's, it's all, in my opinion, you know, at some point in time in my life. And this is this is what this woman told me. This sister told me. I don't want to mention her name on the phone. I, have, I don't have permission to do do so, but. You know, she, she and I were talking about this whole experience thing. And she said, you know what, Ron? I've always felt that we are born to win. We're really born to win. But if you're going to be a winner, that you were born to be, you've got to plan to win, prepare yeah. to win. Yeah. And then you can only legitimately expect to win if you plan and prepare to win. Yeah. And so... I mean, when I listen when I listen to you talk about uh, winning, man, you know, this is what comes to my mind. I wanted to uh, mention that to you uh, uh, several times before that with the concept of winning with prostate cancer. And I remember uh, my friend telling me that we were born to win, and you, you, you plant, you, you know, you're doing the things to prepare to win. Right. And that's what that's why you can, and as they say, legitimately, you're going to expect to win because you're doing the things that, that you're supposed to do to win. Yeah. It, 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 it's funny. I, I heard my brother speak um, a couple of weeks ago. He was on a sh on a show, and you know, my brother started out as an architect. This your big brother. My big brother, right? And he ended up he ended up being a contractor. And and someone asked him, "Well, you are an architect. What made you go to be a contractor?" He said something. He said, well, I knew I wasn't going to be a real good architect, but I knew I could be a great contractor. And when he said that, I was kind of like, you know, they, that's the way we've always lived. It's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, this ain't for me. Let me go do something else. And, you know, we kind of come into this panacea of you always say that you can do anything that you want. Yeah, you can, 
but you also got to realize what you can't do. You know, I was, I've been a good athlete my whole life. I was a good basketball player. I could have played basketball in college, but I, 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 I said this, I said, Corey, you're five, nine. You didn't play against the best of the best. Are you going to put in the work of what it takes to, to really succeed at the next level and try to get to the next level? And I told myself, I can if I want to, but I don't want to. That's too much. So I said, you know what? Let me go do something else. I happened to be fast that I could run track. So when I went to Morehouse, I wasn't on scholarship yet. I earned my scholarship my freshman year because I said, you know what? I gave up for your scholarship to play basketball. I said, I got to I got to get the scholarship back. So that's when I started running track, but I knew that sport I could succeed in. And I, the work was worth it to me because what you realize, you know, I went to Morehouse at HBCU and what they always try to tell you about this school or that school, you know, especially when they talk about football players and basketball players. Well, you average 40 over there. You, you average, you know, 5.5 yards a carry because you went there. Well, track and field doesn't matter. That 400 meter track is the same for division one, two, and three. Doesn't matter. So they, no one could take whatever I put into it and define me. So giving up basketball, I was like, I'm not gonna let anyone define me because in, in high school, football was my first love. But somehow I got kind of thrown into playing quarterback because I played in the junior, the junior leagues when I was a little kid. But I couldn't throw anymore because I threw my arm out playing baseball. Because I had had my older brother Dave was throwing curveballs and stuff. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to be like my big brother, but I'm throwing this stuff too early. So I threw my arm out. And I said, tell the football coaches, I can't do this anymore. But they kept me there. And so then when the starting quarterback got hurt. I'm second string. They do something different. I'm like, well, what am I here for? So I just cut that out. The point I'm making is that saying no to some things doesn't mean you're a failure. You just understand it. This is a better direction. Yeah. And that's what I learned when my brother said that or kind of confirmed there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, say, look, if you're going to do this, Cause you know, you know me, Ryan, you know, I, I, I'm not short on, you know, on, on what I, what I'm saying and in, in, in the facts of what works and what doesn't work. And I, I've never been afraid to tell myself, Corey, you can't do this, let it go. But I've been able to succeed in other things because it doesn't always mean you're failure, man. So I appreciate you bringing that up because you know, what we say no to doesn't mean we're bad or we're a victim. You got to find it. And I'm finding my way in this health thing that what do I need to do? And not allowing other people to tell me what I can and cannot do with what I had. And I know all the intentions are, are, are great and, and they're there for that. But, you know, it's just you got to go on. You got to find your way yourself. And that's very difficult for a lot of us. 
and you know it can be difficult for us because it's a mental it's a mental thing that we got to deal with you know you know because i our loved ones sometimes get afraid of us, afraid of our own failures that they want us and no, i don't think you should do that I'm like why just tell me why and i may say okay you're right because sometimes we don't know so Right. And, and, and I don't think you, you really don't pay the price of success. You really enjoy the benefits. Correct. That's, that's the investment there, you know. But now you were successful as a sales and marketing guy. What's your, you know, can you walk us through your professional background? Well, I think um, I learned at an early age that the way this system works worldwide is nothing happens until something is sold. And I got intrigued by the whole area of selling, to say the truth. What does it take to convince somebody that you have a solution that will help them solve the problem? That's what selling is all about. And so since I had a, a, a pretty good knack of listening, my, list, my selling skills really are based on my listening skills. Um, and when I, when I found out that by listening to people, you can clearly understand what, what the challenge is, it helps you to formulate ideas for solutions. And I think that's what, what the whole selling thing is about. So at an early age, um, I, I, I worked a lot of different sales jobs, carrying a bag, uh, selling newspapers, selling I wanted to be a Jet Magazine sales boy at one time, but, you know, they used to ride the L train, mm -hmm. and they go from car to car, and I could see how, they, they, you know, they smile and meet a lot of people. So I was just intrigued with sales from, from the get-go. So I, when, I, when I finished my undergraduate studies, uh, I was lucky enough to land a sales job with a small manufacturing firm in Chicago, called Rural Products, R-U-A-L. And the, and, the, and the owner's name was Rural Bowles, R-U-A-L, last name was Bowles. And he manufactured a wax that he sold at a, at a place called Jewel Food Store. <laughs> yeah. Jewel and Osco carried Bowles' product. He had a product called Diamond Sparkle Floor Finish that you could know, shine up your floor with, and he had this generic laundry soap and all that kind of stuff. And Rule was one of those, one of those old-time brothers that had all these things about, you know, how you make it safe. I mean, he had one that really made no sense to me at all, but I thought it was funny, and I'm going to say what it was. Maybe you can get something out of it. He said, he said Washington, do you know how you, how you, finally make that sale. I said, no, Mr. Bowles, how do you do that? He says, when you get the customer on the run, you reach around the front of him and snatch his teeth out of his mouth. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, this room had a, he, had a, he had a funny way of, um, he had a funny way of explaining things like that. And But he got me into the, into the habit of asking questions. He said, you got to 
quick. So I worked with Rule until um, I was picked up by the Johnson Wax Company. And I started out as jo at Johnson Wax as a territory sales representative. And I ended up my 20-year career with Johnson's as, a, as an executive in the, uh, in, in the sales department. But um, through that whole process, I considered myself a lifelong learner. Uh, all the new concepts and techniques, because selling is really, is really helping people solve problems. That's, that's what selling is really all about. And then at some, somewhere along the line, uh, I convinced Johnson Wax to send me out to Northwestern University to work on my MBA at the Kellogg Graduate School of Business. And it was one day on campus that I ran into a friend of mine and uh, she told me she was on her way to a lecture uh, over at the School of Communications. And I went over to the lecture at the School of Communications. And after a year in the MBA program, I decided to change my major. Johnson White wasn't happy with that because they'd already shelled out uh, one year's worth of tuition. But I, I transferred that into uh, getting a master's degree in communication because that was the essence of what sales is all about. It's really the it's really the glue in life, communication, clarity in the message, and so I made a pretty good living um, as a salesman. Uh, even though I had all these credentials and went to you know graduate school and all this other stuff, I real really consider myself you know just a standard salesman, a person who uh, is looking Yeah, even as an accountant, you know, and, you know, now I'm a um, evaluator that I had to sell every day. And I'm an introvert really at heart, but being an introvert was not going to get business and get things going for the firm. I had to get out there and get out of my comfort zone to make sure that the business thrived. And, and I've been blessed to say, you know, I've been in business for over 30 years, you know, raised family and the whole nine yards, you know? And so, but, and now it's a little different, you know, 
but getting out of our comfort zone. And, you know, as I'm going through my life, my new lifestyle, you know, my comfort zone is understanding, you know, the makeup of my body. You know, I can say, well, I didn't go to med school, so I'm not qualified. I am very qualified to understand what's happening with my body. And that's what I've just kind of chosen, you know, part of my, my, my journey is understand what's happening with my body, you know, so now I'm understanding, you know, about sales and, you know, these free radicals, how they get out and, you know, these free radicals can go good or bad. And that's how, you know, we increase our chances of getting these cancerous cells, you know, so we all have them in us. If we understand how it works, we can deal with it. And that's probably why the news wasn't so well with me. It was like, okay, I, I got to step my game up, you know, with my, with my body, my nutrition and what I put in, you know, cause, and I always kind of thought I was doing a pretty good job. Hey, I'm a, you know, I'm a senior world champion. Ain't too many folks my age in better shape than me, but it wasn't enough to take care of what I needed for my body. And I, I stressed it so long, you know, I, I've been a red line. You know, I talked a little earlier that, you know, I've been pushing for 59 years, learning to slow down, get off that hamster wheel. And it's a mental struggle. The hardest part is not my diet. It's not the treatments and stuff that I do, I, you know, you know, that I'm, I'm using for my lifestyle. It's mentally always understanding and not letting down because you cannot let your guard down mentally. I can let it go physically, but mentally I can't because next thing you know, I've been on the wrong road for years or for months. And now I'm kind of back where I was, which is kind of how my life was, you know, prior to this, that, you know, I've always pushed the envelope, you know, and I, I wanted to, I wanted to, really understand who I am, bad, good, or indifferent. But at some point, you've got to slow down. No matter how much I thought I was in great shape, I wore my body out. And, and you know, Corey, you're talking about selling. You know, first of all, you know, I, I take exception to this concept that uh, people are born, you know, born to sell. Yeah. And, and, and that's the interesting thing about the whole concept. 
you know, selling is the transference, in my opinion, of, of feeling, you know, and you've done that, man. I'm listening to you. I mean, this, this program is, I forgot, we actually, I forgot we were on the program, to tell you the truth. <laughs> Right. To be able to, to to dialogue with you on this, I want to do one thing. Uh, if you allow me, sure. Before you know, we leave the air, whatever time that is, is, is that I want to go back to that military uh, analogy that I used earlier, and I don't want any anybody to get the wrong impression of what I said about the military. You know, th- there's there's a there's an enormous amount of positiveness that can come out of the military experience. If you look at the, the ranks of the men and women uh, in the military today, fine, upstanding people, uh, military experience has allowed people to go on to do much greater things than they may have uh, not been able to accomplish if it were not for the military experience. So I don't want to give anybody the impression that um, when I was talking about my particular experience in combat, that I think the military is a bad thing. Right. What I want, what I wanted to convey is, it was a bad thing for me, mm-hmm. and I'm just one individual. Right. But I would, I, I would not hesitate to say that if one has an opportunity to have the only bad part about my military experience was combat, and, and maybe racism. I throw that in there too. But anyway. <laughs> positive things that have uh, come from a military experience. I, you know, look at your dad, for instance. Right, yeah, my dad, yeah. He was a med- yeah. Your pop ended up, you know, uh, going to great heights, and that military experience was probably uh, part and parcel responsible for that in some way. Yeah. If they said, man, you could get, get me kicked off already, right? They, they're, they're not military, right? <laughs> No, no. Well, it's funny you say that because growing up, I've always been an observant person. I observe more than people may realize because I talk a lot. And a lot of that talking for me is my cover up of my my inability to speak until, you know, I was maybe, you know, eight, nine years old. You know, I just had I had that problem. So it's kind of almost like a nervous reaction, but I listen more intently than, you know, people may believe. But who I admired growing up, especially when I got to be a teenager, teenagers, teenager, were, were, were people who were in the military. And I'm gonna tell you why. Because every guy or girl that I knew was in the military could do a whole bunch of stuff. They could fix cars. They could do stuff around the house. So I always wanted to be that guy. And you talked about, you know, our families and stuff that, you know, I always want my family to know whether I say it out loud or not, I got y'all. And whatever it takes to make anything go in this house or what we're involved in, I'm going to make sure I do my best to make it happen and I will be responsible for it. You don't have to worry about it. Get on my back and let's roll. 
but just kind of understanding that everything, you know, you know, you know, I, I, I got a 17 year old right now. And I remember he was, you know, 12, 13, you know, we used to go to key and put stuff together. And I, and I wanted it, I wanted to show him how to put stuff together so he could do this on his own. And so, you know, we, he just got a new bed and he put that bed together by himself. And I just kind of say, you know, I ain't saying he did it because I did it, but I just kind of say, you know, I hope what, I, what we did putting this together and that together gave him the confidence to say, hey, I can put this together. You know, I did this with dad. And that's how I used to look at people in the military all the time because, you know, they was, now I learned how to change my own oil in my car, you know, change some brake pads because I just got under these people's tutelage just to kind of understand what's happening, you know? So just learning that stuff. So to your point, I always looked up to people in the military because they had something, they did something I didn't do. And I always would say, what if I would have went to the military, you know, you know, you know, just to get that four years, just to see what it was like. So I always kind of looked up to people in the military from that perspective, Ron. Sure, sure. And it's different for everybody. I mean, you know, uh, uh, for me personally, again, because I don't want to send the wrong message, and, and I appreciate what I learned in the military and I've used some of those skills and things of that nature. But in looking back at the choice, see, it's all about choice. Yeah. And looking back at the choice I made, me personally, to join the military, and my sister tried to tell me, and my brother too, you don't like to take orders. You don't like to do what you're told. Now, for a person who doesn't like to take orders and do what they told, why in the world would I change <laughs> an organization like the military? You know, so, so it, just, it just goes to show, to show me how you evolve as a young person, uh, you need that advice from people, those role models, those examples, and, and things of that day. I've been better off in the school or doing some other kind of voluntary work because I, I was set up for a bad experience by just being the person I was at that time, you know. Mm -hmm. But 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 it's 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 interesting how we, we get through those things, like you were saying earlier. Right. You got to be com committed to move, you know, to move to the next level. Yeah. You got to be committed to do that. Yeah. Without that commitment, and, and, you know, I hear that every day in your voice, you know, in terms of how you, and how you, uh, you know, it's like motivation. You know, motivation gets you going, and then you got habits. Habits will get you there. You know, so if you make, if you make motivation a habit, yeah, and yeah, and it's funny you say that because you know I find different things to motivate me, and I always hear my dad never let anyone define you, and whatever motivates me to do what I need to get done, that's what I'm going to use. It just doesn't matter what it is. Because we got to have that self-motivation inside of us. And this journey 
is all about motivation to keep going. Because it's just me and God at this point now. Now, I got my family, they help and support. I'm not saying that. But this mental piece, it's more than a notion. You know, this mental health ain't about whether you crazy or not was what, you know, how we always used to look at it. And we don't want to talk about it. Heck, we don't want to talk about prostate cancer. You know, that's just so personal. But I understand that, hey, if I don't, I don't get help. I don't get healed. And if it helps others on the way, man, just then let's do it. Well, I appreciate it, Ron. And uh, and what I want to do is just take just a little little break for a second. And I want to come back and I just kind of want you to tell the audience what, what you're doing, what's going on, and, you know, the journey that you're on. You know, they've heard, they hear and heard my journey, but, you know, it's people like you that make this journey enjoyable. And I hope they are enjoying listening to you. And I'm sure we're going to have you back on again. So just give us a few minutes, people, and we'll be right back in a couple of seconds. So what journey are you on? Are you afraid to identify your journey and to take the necessary steps? What I can say for me, this diagnosis has given me more strength than I thought I ever could have. I know what my strengths and weaknesses are. I'm not afraid of them. Not afraid of my weaknesses. And people say, why are you doing this? I'm not afraid to die. I'm afraid of not living. 
and God is showing me a way to live. All right, Mr. Washington. Man, this has been um, a great ride this evening with you, man. And, you know, we're working together on, on some projects and you got some things going on. And, you know, I want you to kind of talk about what you're doing now, you know, Ryan. You know, you've had a stellar career. You, you know, you fought for this country and, you know, you, You've seen it up close. And here you are now, living a life that you have set forth for yourself. And just tell me how that feels to you and what's going on. And, you know, we talked about time that I don't see days anymore. I see activities and getting things done. You know, the sleep patterns are just part of what we have to do to allow our bodies to get rest. And I remember somebody saying about Prince. Prince didn't count birthdays. And I just like, okay, Prince is just weird. I understand it now. Because age doesn't matter anymore. When you said when we wake up every day, What's on your mind? Thank you first. And what can I do for you today? And so as I wake up every day and, and, and go on my journey, I know I have the best co-pilot next to me. And I don't have to think and worry and get anxious about what needs to be done. Because I believe that this path, I'm following his footsteps. So what happens now doesn't affect me the way it used to. Because there's so much joy in life now. And to say that, you know, with the diagnosis that I had, I thought would be just impossible to say. But through him, he's given me that strength and that understanding to make this happen. So Ron, let's talk about you now. What's going on? Tell me what you're doing. You know, I know you've had some great businesses in, in the past. Actually, that's how we kind of met. I was your CPA, or I still am, kind of, you know, and that's how we kind of met. And, you know, we're doing some things together again. And so talk to me. Tell me what's happening. Let the people know what you're doing. Mr. Ron, I'm sorry. Yeah, we got you, man.
one aspect of all the crazy things that are going on. You know, when you think about the, the conceivability that humans are approaching the end of being the dominant life form on Earth, when I tell people that, they look at me like I'm, you know, a, a smoking a, a, a weed like I used to. I don't, I don't smoke anymore. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we feel
supplier vendor business development and getting companies ready to you know ready to compete in prime time ready for the big show because uh, clearly um, and, and this is just an economic statement we're going to be going around and around in the circle for a long time this economic despair that the black community especially is in if we don't start getting our money circulating uh, amongst ourselves more often. Yeah. And, and the one way to do that, obviously, is uh, with, with a strong economic base, no matter what the business concept is. It creates jobs, it creates collective individual wealth, wealth for the community, and that's what we got to focus on. So after all these years in business, here's, here's my big announcement. You know, April 1st, I'm really retired running these companies, and I'm, I've joined the nonprofit. I've, I've, I've even recruited you, Corey. I don't know if you want to tell folks <laughs> what we're doing. I'll, I'll leave that up to you. But basically, the Council for Supply Diversity is dedicated to uh, enriching the community's opportunities in business. You can tell the story. You can tell the story. Okay. Corporation and Costco and uh, Cox Communications and uh, uh, Disney and people like that who really have a commitment to help uh, the minority business community develop and grow and to become at least participating partners in the economic uh, opportunity vision. What I mean by that is, is that they're committed, corporations like that are committed making sure that the, that, the, that the companies, the small businesses that they deal with in their own businesses, especially the minority-owned companies, especially the black and brown companies, have the capability to take advantage of the uh, economic opportunities in the supply chain. And so what we're doing is we're mounting a very aggressive development program. Um, the organization has been functioning since 1999, and we're partnering with the uh, uh, University of San Diego right now on a partnership to provide um, instruction and educational support for, uh, for businesses who are in the program. And in the morning, we, we have the professors do their thing in, 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 in delivering content, finance, like myself and you, Corey, and others who have uh, been on, uh, on the ground floor of running successful businesses, uh, we're in the afternoon teaching uh, our, our perspective and our various fields of expertise to these business people. And in, the, and, and in addition to that, we've started a Young Entrepreneurs Academy where we have uh, young people, as, as young as, uh, actually, we had a group of grade schoolers who had ideas for business. Um, and we have high school students and college students and, and young young people who have the entrepreneurial spirit. So we have a, 
we have a, 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 a vast, um, comprehensive approach to developing uh, the business class, if you, if you want to call it that. The outcome of that will be that we will help at least to put a whole generation of new uh, business owners uh, in front of cutting-edge developmental strategies that will help them compete globally. Because it's a global economy out there. If we don't, in my opinion, if we don't do that, and like I said, my pop said, there's nothing wrong with a good job. But my uh, take on that is if you can get one. Right. And, and, and which, which is becoming more difficult uh, day in and day out. Yeah. So we have a, 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 an enormous opportunity. Um, I guess I can I guess I can say this to Corey uh, that we've uh, just recently started a dialogue uh, with the HBCU. Um, you know, I, I hesitate to to, to get any deeper in that because we we haven't uh, got clearance to talk about it. But we've got to build the business class. Yeah. And there are enough examples of success out here that we can mirror that and teach future generations that, you know, this is the way that we, we, we build our way out of this condition that we find ourselves in for the last hundred years. Yeah, because we have to fix it ourselves. It's just, you know, just get, stop begging, stop asking. It ain't happening. As hard as it may hear to say to hear that, get over it. Let's roll. So Yep. The, the, the atmosphere is correct now. The environment is correct. The timing is correct. 
We've got the know-how. We've got educational institutions like the HBCUs, all of the resources that they have, and the faculty, and the physical plant, and the students coming out of there. I put that together with the with the uh, ongoing successful business week, Black Enterprise. Look at the Black Enterprise 100, and and and, and other stories like that. Take the top 100 in Black Enterprise. There's another 500, or maybe even a thousand or more, of very successful companies that we can somehow or another collectively unite with all that knowledge and resource and help build this business class. That's what I'm that's what I'm dedicating my life to today. Yeah. And and I'm glad to join you on that. And you know you've been in it longer than I have. I've been on it now working with you guys for about three or four months. So if you don't mind mentioning the name, if it's okay, you know, how they can get in touch to get support, to get help, you know, that's what we're here for. You know, this is, yeah, it's about winning with prostate cancer, but it's about winning period, as Ron has said earlier. It's just about winning. And we got to find out what game we play best in. And I, I remember coaching in high school when 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 my girls were in high school so I, I coached track and field and there were some athletes out there that i wanted to come out and run track but what has happened in sports and athletics now that they making these kids try to specialize in one sport the problem is once they get hooked in that and you say they can't do anything else that may not be their best sport and so to allow folks to flourish and really make a determination what they're better in or what they're best at, I think is important. And what we want to do is give that to the business community. Let's find out what works. And what I found out over my 30-something years experience as a CPA, everyone that I've come in contact with, no matter what their vocation was, they were great at it. But the difference is running a business. And so what would happen in this diversity kind of atmosphere that, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a show on its own is there are no qualified people. And I think the guy from Wells Fargo, the president, you know, during this pandemic really came out and said, there are no black qualified executives. And that's just garbage. We got qualified people to do the work. And what happens, and even in my profession, you have to have so much experience and there's certain things you don't get to see. And we're bringing concepts and ideals to these businesses that they ordinarily would not see or have access to. You know, Kim always says, hey, they need access. Yes, we wanna give them access. And we want them to show them how to put the work in to understand the business part of being a great contractor. You can be the best painter in the world, but if you can't run the business, you can't do the business. And Ryan, I think you said something that you can have the best cake in the world. If you don't know how to sell it, it ain't gonna make no money. Right. But you know, think, think about it. Today, what we got today, we didn't have, you know, 20 years ago we didn't have it. We didn't have 
didn't have Damon John. We didn't have Michael Jordan. We didn't have uh, Robert and Sheila Johnson. We didn't have uh, uh, Janice Howard. We didn't have uh, Sean Combs and all the people, the Jay-Z's and the Beyonce's and the Dr. Dre's. In, in Madam C.J. Walker's shadow, we got all these people out here that have done it. Right. So no longer can people say you can't do it. Because and, that's off the table. And guess what just came out with Forbes, who the richest they said that person was? Who was that? Kanye West. I think it was six point four billion. Oh my goodness! Well, I'm gonna say we ought to do a show on Kanye because he's a Chicago boy, right? And that gives us some right to talk about <laughs> <laughs> talk about some of that. Yeah. But, but, but the point is good, Corey. It, it, you know, it took me a long time as a business person. I don't like I like the story of Thomas Edison because Thomas Edison said, "You guys will give me all this." But you should have seen all the stuff I tried to get out there that just never made it. Yeah. You know, the light bulb is what you all know me for, but you don't know all the failures that I had because I didn't have any role models. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have any, any, any sense of that I could actually do this, uh, but I had a, a feeling that I could get it done. Right. And as you say, you, most of the business people I know, and some of them very successful, multi-millionaires, it is shocking that I can say, I was certainly not missing any, but it's shocking to me when I have had conversations with some of these people that they don't even really realize how they made their money. Right. You know. And, 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 and when I tell them that as good as you're doing, you have no idea how great you could be beyond where you are today. Correct. And I think, I think that that's where we are, Corey, with this whole thing. And I'm excited about this. I was working with these kids a couple of weeks ago. You should have heard some of these ideas. And some of them were pretty crazy. But you know what? That's where it all starts. Yeah. 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 I, 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 says, don't let anybody tell you how to be happy. Don't yeah. let anybody tell you your ideas are important. And don't let nobody define you. That's what we're doing as a council to supply the verse if you don't mind me putting it out. Most definitely. Uh, It's a great cause, and I will put the information in the show notes. You know, you can go out to the websites, go to the show notes, and we'll have the links and stuff there. And, you know, those that are listening in business, we got some special free tools out there for you also to use. So please don't hesitate to contact us at any time. As always, I'd like to leave, you know, my contact information. You can always reach me at Corey M, C-O-R-E-Y-M, at MoodyBennettCPA.com. You can reach me at 
4911, extension 105. It rings directly to me. And I want to thank you for taking this journey with me tonight. As you heard, one of my mentors, the guy that kind of gives me that heartbeat to wake up every morning because I know he's in my corner in the flesh. But my Heavenly Father gives me the strength and the understanding to fight it all. And as I go on this journey, and those who come along with me, I want to thank you. And we'll see you again. Thank you for listening to Winning with Prostate Cancer.